Are you the kind of person that looks up into the sky every time an aeroplane flies past, wishing that was you? Have you always wanted to learn to fly, but just don't know how to go about it? Not sure how much it costs, how often to do it? Is there even a career path now in aviation after COVID? Well, in this week's episode, I'm going to go and answer all these questions and more. So strap in and let's get into it. G'day everyone and welcome to episode four of Flight Training Australia, the podcast about flight training in Australia and Australian regulations. I'm your host Trent Robinson and thank you again for joining me. For those that don't know me or just joining the podcast, I'm a flight instructor and flight examiner and also head of operations of a flight school based out of Darwin in the Northern Territory. Flight training is something I'm incredibly passionate about, I must have been, been doing it over 20 years. And students learning to fly need all the help they can get. For those that know me, it's never been about if you fly with me or somewhere else. All I care about is that you're looked after at the school that you choose to fly with, wherever that is, and that you have a great time doing it. Flight training is hard work, but it's also great, great fun. Some of the best memories of my life I've had doing flying and consider it an absolute privilege to do what I do and see what I get to see. Now, the first thing that we should probably discuss in this day and age, is it even worth learning to fly anymore with all the devastation that COVID has caused to the aviation industry? And my answer to that question is still yes. Now, a lot of people will say, yeah, but that's because you're a flying instructor. It's your business to say yes. Well, it is, but at the same time, I won't encourage somebody to do something if it's not going to be in their best interest. COVID is here to stay. We're learning to deal with it. Air travel is also here to stay. Flying will always be there. It's going to take a couple of years to recover, sure, but it takes a couple of years to get flying. So let's have a look at the different options that are available and we'll talk about the various streams and uh, processes that you need to be able to do in order to get your pilot's licence. The first thing you need to consider is are you a private pilot or a commercial pilot? Meaning do you want to do it for fun and recreation or do you want to make some money out of this? There's plenty of flight schools around to be able to go flying with you, to do your training You can do it part-time, you can do it full-time, weekends, during the holidays, completely flexible, uh, all different manners of ways to go about it and and get your licence. Commercial, I still believe it's well worth doing. Aviation has always been a challenging industry to get into at times. Some people make it and some don't. And there's a lot of disillusioned people out there that didn't quite make it for whatever reason. Sometimes it might be by their own doing. They thought that they'd do the training and get a job at the end of it. It would just fall in their lap. Others have had medical issues or life changes with family and jobs, lack of funds, all manner of reasons why. My general experience has been that those who want it bad enough will get it. So how do you start flight training? What's the best way to go about it? Well, if you've never actually been on a flight, the best thing to do is go for a trial flight. Now, a trial flight is simply a half hour to an hour lesson, essentially. You'll get to have a bit of a brief with the instructor, go through some of the absolute basics, 
and get some hands-on experience behind the wheel of an aircraft. And the best thing about this is you can actually log it as your first half an hour in your logbook. So it's not even a waste of money. Otherwise, if you decide not, hey, I'm sure you would have had an awesome time. But a trial flight will really help you know, am I passionate about flying an aeroplane or am I just passionate and interested in aviation? I have had some people that realize, actually, I don't want to learn to fly. I just love flying or I love aeroplanes. So sometimes you can just come down, hire an instructor and go for a fly. You don't even have to do any formal training as well. You can talk to your local flying school about the options that they offer. The other added benefit of a trial flight as well is it gives you an insight into the kind of instructors that the school has, a good close-up look at their aircraft, how old they are, what kind of condition they're in, and maybe even find the right instructor. The person that does your trial flight might become your long-term instructor, or you may end up flying with somebody else, but it'll give you a chance to get an idea of some of the instructors that are available for you and someone who's going to be suitable for your style of learning. So you've decided that you want to learn? All right. What license do you need? How old do I need to be? How long does it take? These are all complicated questions because there's a lot of it depends, unfortunately. But let's just go through the best average person scenario. Before I do that, first things first, the quoting of hours required and the cost of each phase of training or course can vary. CASA, or the Civil Aviation Safety Authority, quote low hours as at the time in the regulations are based on someone at the bare minimum hours and also potentially coming across from other forms of flying. So they have some other flying experience. So the minimum hours to achieve that license are lower to take all that into account. But those low hours won't apply to the average student who has got no flying background at all. They're usually probably 20 to 30% short of what the average person needs. Now, some flying schools will quote these bare minimum hours and they're well within their rights to do so. But please understand that you will find the actual hours that you're going to do will probably be more. And my flying school and many others will quote a more average person's uh, flight time to achieve the objective. So when you are asking for quotes, make sure you ask them, is this the bare minimum hours or is this based on the average person, the average student hours? So, for example, the total aeronautical experience for an RPL is 25 hours, though you'll probably find the average student will typically take somewhere more like 35 hours to reach flight test standard. This is very much determined on how long it takes you to do the flying. And part of that question is, well, that's up to you. For a recreational pilot's license, let's just go with the 35-hour minimum. If you did one lesson a week, that would take you 35 weeks. If you wanted to go full-time, it wouldn't be realistic to fly every single day but you could knock that over in a month, month to six weeks at a very liberal pace. There are some other things to take into account though. For example, there are some exams and theory requirements and you'll need time to study that as well. So the RPL 
or recreational pilot's license is the first license type. It's your general handling keeper within your local area uh, license. There are some restrictions. First of all, you need to be 15 to be able to go on your first solo flight, and that is where we send you off by yourself, and then 16 years to attain the recreational license. Once you've attained that, you're looking at 25 nautical mile restriction on where you can go. So wherever your flight school is based, you're allowed to go up to 25 miles away and within the associated training area boundaries. For the RPL, there are some add-on license endorsements, such as the navigation endorsement and the controlled airspace endorsement. I'll hold there and I'm going to come back to those in just a sec. The next license category is the PPL or Private Pilot's License. You need to be 17 years of age minimum for this one and the regulations require a minimum of 35 hours of total aeronautical experience. Part of this will also be some cross-country navigation training. Essentially, this builds on the RPL license. As I said, the RPL contains all the general handling, all the different phases of flight, and then the PPL moves on to now. Let's break that 25-mile boundary and go and explore the countryside. How to navigate. We'll start dealing with things like controlled airspace, how to avoid restricted airspace, over water flights, uh, different aerodromes, different types of airspace. Essentially, once you've got your PPL, you can fly anywhere in the country. And uh, it's a great license to have. You don't have the weight restrictions and uh, the other requirements that the PPL has. So what is the main difference between an RPL and a PPL? The RPL is restricted to 1,500 kilogram maximum takeoff weight. So there's a small range of aircraft that fit into that category. You can't fly at night, restricted to 25 miles. Now, I mentioned before that there are some add-on license endorsements. These include cross-country navigation, controlled aerodrome, and controlled airspace, which is much the same as the private pilot license. So what is the difference? Well, in the training, absolutely nothing. To navigate an aeroplane on an RPL versus a PPL, it's exactly the same. Even though the hours might look a little bit less, you can't learn to navigate with less experience just because. It takes the same amount of time. So when asking flying schools about that, make sure you understand the actual hours that are going to be needed and not be quoted the bare minimum again. For PPL, you can do your night rating. You could upgrade to a multi-engine aeroplane. You can fly a greater range of aircraft have much more freedom of movement. But there is a purpose of the navigation and controlled airspace endorsements. One of them is for some people, they do find the theory examination process difficult. Now, having said that, to do the BAK, or the Basic Aeronautical Knowledge Theory Examination for an RPL holder, you still need to do all that at a PPL. There is a cross-country navigation exam, which is very similar to the PPL. So in my opinion, you're not really getting away with anything easier. There's no real shortcuts here. This is where ground schools come in that can really help you. There's a wide range of online source materials, online courses, in-class theory courses, 
theory books and, of course, good old YouTube, going through all sorts of things as well to help you learn and understand. After this is the commercial pilot's license, and this is where things start getting a little bit more complicated. So I'm going to now talk about selecting a school. And the main purpose of this would be depending on what training or career path you're after. Now, there's two types of flying schools. Civil Aviation Safety Regulation, or CASR, Part 141 or 142. So you will hear the term a 141 training provider or 142 training provider. Now, for everyone who just wants a normal license, RPL, PPL, CPL, night ratings, instrument ratings, instructor ratings, twin endorsements, aerobatics, formation, tailwheel, all these other courses uh, or courses of training that you can do, a basic 141 flight school can do that for you. And you will find the majority of flight schools in Australia are part 141 training providers. This is what we call non-integrated training, simply meaning there are more hours required to get some of the licenses. It's not as supervised as a fully integrated 142 training school, but you can come and go as you please. You can do it casually, part-time, full-time, do it in chunks, do your theory in your own time, decide how you do your theory. It's the most flexible training pathway that's available. A part 142 training provider, and we'll talk about the commercial pilot license pathway for the now, is a fully integrated training program. It's a full-time registration typically. This will be associated with university-style training courses, ones on fee help and the like, which we'll talk about shortly. And you'll do it in 12 to 18 months is the typical time frame. You'll generally go from nothing to a commercial license, a multi-engine and instrument or instructor rating pathway. You will do ground school on site, you'll do flying on site. So you're living and breathing it and generally the quickest way to go and get it all done and fully guided the whole way through. Because of that fact, there are some flight time discounts, if you like, on the minimum number of hours required to achieve each license. The main one that's affected is the commercial license. The minimum syllabus will be 150 hours for a part 142 training provider or 200 hours for a non-integrated part 141 training provider. So then you're probably thinking, well, hey, fantastic. If I get a discount, why don't I just do a 142 training program? Well, the main reason is you just simply may not be able to either afford the time or the money to do a full-time, fully integrated training course all in one go. You may need to spread it out over a couple of years. It can be done full-time, as I said earlier, in 12 to 18 months. Pretty hard going. Uh, but it is actually quite reasonably done at a fairly reasonable pace. But you will be living and breathing aviation. The other alternative is you can look at including other elements in your 200 hours of training. 
So it doesn't just have to be RPL, PPL, CPL. You could add in a night rating, a multi-engine rating, even an instrument rating or instructor rating in that 200 hours before you sit the commercial pilot license exam. There are conditions and some complications in that process, but there are a lot more choose-your-own-adventure options, if you like. So talk to your flying school and see what options they offer. Have a look around. Have a look on the pilot forums on Facebook. They can also will have people asking exactly the same questions that you'll be asking. And this will make life a little bit easier for you when you're trying to decide which way you want to go. One question I get asked quite a bit is regarding analog or steam-driven gauges versus glass cockpit. Analog are your standard six-pack instruments, each individual instrument, normal mechanical needles versus a glass cockpit, which is computer screens. So you'll have a PFD or primary flight display and usually a multifunction display, which is your map screen and your engine instruments potentially. All depends on what sort of version you've got. Now, there are pros and cons to learning on glass first. Typically, glass cockpit aircraft are going to be newer aeroplanes. However, not always the case. There are retrofit options now that can be put into older aeroplanes. The way you look at the instrumentation is a little bit different, but pretty much for the beginning of your training, it's not going to make a huge amount of difference because everything you're doing is primarily visual, meaning you're looking outside the window, not so much in. When you come to things like night ratings and instrument ratings, it becomes a little bit more significant. We are gradually moving to all glass cockpit style aircraft, though if If you're looking at your first job, you may well find that you're just going to be flying analog. And if you haven't had some analog experience, you might find it a little bit odd to begin with. But honestly, it's not that big a deal to be able to convert across. But going from analog to glass is a little bit more of a challenge sometimes, especially in the instrument rating scene. But some time in a simulator and in the aircraft having some practice flights you'll soon figure it out pretty quick with some basic training. How often should you fly? Once a week is ideal if you're just really stuck with time, money and budget. A couple of times a week, even better. Full time, of course, is going to be the best. Though you you can find that sometimes learning every day, you start learning things via rote, i.e., just memory recall. You don't want to do that all the time. You want to ensure that you can recall information that was learned and apply it at future lessons. So sometimes a few days in between is actually a good thing. The end of the day, you're going to be able to learn to fly as often as you can handle and you're going to learn to manage that. I have had some students that have weeks in between and actually turn out to be pretty good done pilots. At the end of the day, it's going to come down to what you can afford, both money and time-wise, and what effort you put in. So the big question is now, how much is this all going to cost me? 
And this is a question, unfortunately, I can't give an exact specific answer on. Every flying operator is going to have their own costs, depending on the aircraft fleet that they're running, what they're paying their instructors, their airport rental fees, parking fees, landing fees. What you need to do is ask for the quotes or indications from your local school. And even if that's the only option, ring around a couple of others, ask for the same thing, and it'll give you something to compare. If you're going at a major airport, well, then you've got some options available. You'll be able to go around and investigate and see what everybody's like. See how you feel when you walk in the building. See what the staff are like. Have a look at the fleet and give it a go. The good thing is, at the end of the day, if you're not happy and there is an alternative training provider available to you, it's really not hard to move and change flight schools at all. All you need to do is let the school know that you're going to be transferring. New school will transfer the file. They'll get all your training records and you can just pick up pretty much where you're left off as long as the school syllabus is pretty much identical, which in most cases it always will be. So go around, say g'day, see what they're like, go for a trial flight, and then have fun. I can say that for an RPL, you're going to be looking around the $15,000 mark. For a PPL, around twenty to 25 now, that's a total price. That's not on top of an RPL. For the commercial, you're going to be looking at seventy dollars to $80,000 total, again, from nothing to a CPL. As far as payment options go, I strongly recommend you always pay as you go. Don't put lump sums of cash down unless you're very comfortable with the school, their operating environment. There are very little protections in case something terrible were to happen and the school were to close and you lose your money. So the best thing to do is pay as you go and that way you're not going to be left out of pocket. The exception to this is, of course, if you are getting some sort of school funding like vet fee help arrangements. And again, we'll talk about that sometime in the future as to the pros and cons. You'll need a medical, a headset, some theory books. There's a couple of extra uh, costs associated with getting going and your flying school can advise you of that and the best place to source those. As long as you're in decent average medical health, you shouldn't have any problems at all getting your first medical and getting off and running. For private pilots and RPL holders, just a basic class two is all you need. If you're going to your commercial professional training, I strongly recommend that you do a class one medical right in the beginning. That will do your full eyes, your heart, check everything, make sure there's no problems that could possibly cause an issue when you holding a class one medical and therefore not actually being able to work as a commercial pilot in the future. There are a couple of exceptions to that, such as instructors now don't need a class one but you will need a Class 1 medical when you first go for your commercial pilot's licence flight test. All right, so that's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. 
there's a lot of information here to digest and honestly I could talk so much more in depth but this journey is so specific uh, and can change I, I liken it to a bus journey there's a bunch of bus stops along the way you'll get there in the end it just depends on the path you choose and how much it costs in the long run but you are going to have the best best time flying is just amazing and I really can't wait to hear about your stories and journeys. If you've got something to share, please do so. You can get me on info at trentrobinsonaviation.com.au. You can put podcasts in the subject line and let me know what you uh, want to say or your suggestions for a future episode. You can also leave your details on a comment on Facebook or Instagram or Messenger, Trent underscore Robinson underscore aviation that's it for now we've got a lot of great episodes being planned coming up soon we're going to be talking about ATPL courses and the flight test we'll be looking at some instructor training material and PPL and CPL components as well so heaps coming up it's getting very exciting in the meantime remember the golden rule aviate navigate communicate cheers cheers